lot to get excited. That song gets me excited. Woo! Father, we thank you that that is true, that you have made us survivors because of your son, that you pulled us up out of the miry clay, out of the quicksand of ourselves, of the world, and the, the devil, and that you rescued us. And Lord, not only that you rescued us, you keep us. And so as we look into this last book of, of your book, give us something to hang on to, something for our lives as we muddle through the rest of 2021 and the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us Jesus, for it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone. So I have the task of preaching through the book of Revelation in 29 minutes. <laughs> but I volunteered for this, so I'm stuck with it, right? What a blessing. Uh, Mike's gone for four weeks, so I always say to Tim, if you want me to step in for one week, that way you don't have to go four in a row. So here I am. Revelation. What a book. Been reading it this year. I read it long before I planned on preaching on it, but uh, just finished it last night for the third time this year. And whoa! Seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven angels, twenty-four elders, four living creatures, a lamb that is slain, with seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits, a scroll that no one could open, but he. Myriads of angels, seven seals, on the seventh there's silence, seven trumpets, seven thunders, which John doesn't get any insight on, they're sealed, a temple, two witnesses, earthquakes, destruction, a beast, a dragon, and another beast, and then six, six, six. And then seven plagues coming out of seven bowls, finishing the wrath of God. And I didn't even get to chapter 19, 20, 20, and 21. We'll save those for in between the last two songs. Phenomenal when we think about this book and this whole book we call the Bible, 66 books. And I got the last one uh, over a year and a half 66 weeks, this is the 66th week. And I have a, a plan to do three things this morning. One, I want us to look at Jesus through a different lens. I want us to see him as John sees him in the first chapter. Two, I want us to know what it means to be an overcomer. He overcame. And we can be overcomers. And then three, which will be not in the body of the message, but at the end in between songs. I want us to think about the end, but the beginning. The new heavens and the new earth. The river that flows. The trees that are for healing. The tree of life is there. Restoration. That's what Revelation is all about. So let's begin, and I'm going to begin by reading the first few verses, and 
they're unique in many ways because there's a blessing given to us by just reading them aloud. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now here's the blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. And so we have this letter, this revelation. Notice it's, it's not what the King James says, revelation of, the, of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what John is unfolding. And he does it in many and different ways. We have different visions of Jesus, uh, different pictures of him as a lion of Judah, as a lamb slain. But this first picture I want us to look at, and I want us to look at closely. Beginning with ver- verse uh, 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And there are symbols in this book recurring over and over. Sometimes we get an insight as to the symbol and sometimes we don't. In this case, the lampstands, John says later in this chapter, are the churches. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refining a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters and in his right hand he held seven stars from the mouth from his mouth came a two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength this is a picture of Jesus I don't think he looks like this it's a picture given to John of what John saw in the heavenlies and John saw Jesus through a different lens we oftentimes think of Jesus as we read the gospels And I encourage you to read the Gospels every year. I do it once or twice a year just to fall in love with my Savior again, just to see how he treated human beings. But this lens that John is given is different. First of all, he has a robe. The robe is a sign of his kingly office. Kings wore robes. If you remember Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was on a throne and he had a robe flowing down. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus. Interesting. He's got a robe because he's a king. Later on in Revelation, that robe is actually dipped in blood. Another picture that we're given. Now he has a sash also. 
And that sash, kings also wore. But I think it also alludes to the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Because the priest wore a sash. He is our mediator. By that we mean he came to earth to stand in our place. And when he hung on that cross and he uttered those words, it is finished, he had done it. Paul tells us in Colossians that he triumphed over the principalities and powers, the devil, that he conquered them, that he put them to shame by the cross. That's Jesus, the king and the priest. And now we have his hair. White, just like mine. I'm follically challenged, I know that. But I tell my grandchildren, just rub it right up. There's hair up there, there really is. And it's white now. What does white hair mean? Well, two ways that uh, interpreters looked at this. One, the purity of Jesus Christ, his holiness. But I take the latter. I think it's talking about his wisdom. Colossians says, in him, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside. Jesus is wise. When you read the Proverbs, you're reading Jesus' words. He is the wise one. And so as we follow him, as Christ followers, we should follow his wisdom. It begins in Matthew 5. Remember way back in Matthew? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over what? Over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the gentle. That's not hard, especially for us men. But it's a quality that Jesus wants this to have. And his wisdom is for the ages, for every era, even 2021, the 21st century. And next we have his eyes. Eyes like a flame of fire. And I want to camp out on this for a little bit because I think it's very telling of who Jesus really is, this different lens. Eyes of flame of fire. He sees through us, sees through all of our masks, all of our facades, all of our pretensions, all that we make ourselves out to be but aren't really Jesus sees through us. And that's why it's so good to be genuine as a Christ follower. Someone who's transparent. Now, you can't let it all hang out, right? Some people you can't share anything with. You have to be careful. You have to be wise. But you have to be transparent and not try to appear as if you're someone who's not. Young people, I'm going to speak to you right now. It's hard to be a young person. All of us old people, we remember being teenagers and the pain and the anguish and the fun and, the, you know, the good times, but the bad times. And it's hard to follow Jesus as a young person, isn't it? And sometimes you pretend. Sometimes you make yourself out to be who you aren't. And Jesus sees right through us. He sees who we are. And here's the blessing of it all. He accepts us. As we are. Don't pretend with him. Don't pretend with each other. Older people. 
See? Three fingers going back to me. I'm old. We can be the same way, can't we? Yeah. Uh, pretending. And Jesus sees right through us. Eyes as a flame of fire. And all the rest of you, 20 through 60 or whatever you are, middle-aged, young, young. Yeah, you thought you were going to get off the hook. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. How many of you sometimes pretend? Yeah, yeah. A couple of you put up your hands, but the rest of us know. Yeah. Jesus' eyes look right through us. He wants us to be genuine. He wants us to come to him honestly. Lord, this is difficult in my life. This, this psalmist, right? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And if you look at Revelation, you hear the martyrs saying, How long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to let this go on? And his answer is, Till the last one is killed. Till the last one. That's a hard answer, isn't it? But it's the answer that God gives. We don't know his timetable, you know. If you read Revelation and you try to figure out all of the symbols and all of the timetables, 1260 days, 42 months, 1,000 years, uh, you know, it, 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 you're missing the boat. It's good to inquire, try to find out. I've been working on it for 50 years. I'm still working on it. I hear this and I hear that and then I have to measure and all the rest. But if you, if you just dwell on that part of the book of Revelation, you miss this Jesus who's displayed in a very different way. Be honest with God. Tell him your woes. Don't be afraid of telling them to someone else. They need to be trusted. Another believer, trusted friend, perhaps your group, someone discipling you, but be honest. Because the Savior sees us as we are. And then it says his feet are white hot. They're burnished bronze. And I couldn't get this one. It was difficult. And then I just thought, wherever Jesus goes, his holiness permeates. His character stays wherever he steps his foot. And you can think of history. I'm a history teacher, so I know a little bit about history. And wherever Christianity seems to go, there were powerful things that happened. Do you know why slavery is gone in the world? Because of a believer in England. A lot of people, but a believer in England named William Wilberforce. Look him up. He was a believer, strong believer, and he did not believe that God wanted us to own another human being. And eventually, England, before us in 1833, abolished slavery. And then the world slowly but surely did the same. Wherever Jesus' feet go, wherever his people go, good things happen. And you don't believe that fully and wholeheartedly because you've heard about the crusades and all a lot of bad stuff. But if you look at it from Jesus' perspective, I think I'm right. All right, next, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Woo. This is a hard one. This is judgment. Isaiah says, the sword of the Lord is satiated with blood. And if you read into this book, you see that Jesus will slay the wicked one day. I want to tell you, folks, as I thought about that, I wept. You know, I have a son who still needs to come to know the Lord. I wept. 
I have family members. You've heard me talk about my brother. I've got friends at school, colleagues that I've been weeping over, praying for, for years. And the reality is that that two-edged sword that he has will be used one day. Thessalonians, he'll slay them by the breath of his mouth, it says. And you and I need to be doing God's work. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be praying for people. We need to be all in all the time. And that's not easy to do, 24-7, 365. But that's our life. Two-edged sword. And then lastly, his face is like the sun. Bright and shining. Could take that two ways. One, his message can blind people. The sun can blind you, right, if you look at it too long. I take it the other way, and that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. I love the sun. When I'm laying there in bed, and oh, it's miserable in the winter. How many of you are not liking winter already because you get up in the dark? You know, although it's a little better with the the time changed, but it's not that good, and it, before long, we'll be getting up in the dark again. When that sun peers this morning, when it did, I love the light, and that's what we do. We love the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and his face shines brightly as the sun. Well, John is pretty disturbed here. What's his response? I fell at his feet. As a dead man. And you and I as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, have to do this every once in a while. Fall at his feet as a dead man. Now, he loves us, but we need to be in fear of God. If you go to Revelation 14, there's an angel that has an eternal gospel. And you know what he says, first of all, to the people? Fear God. We need to fear God. And Jesus is God. And as we look at this picture, we see John fall at his feet as a dead man. But look at Jesus and his precious words here. He laid his right hand on me. And he said, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And he was trying to encourage John. John just as you and I would be if we saw this vision, struck, laid low in the dust. That's why as we're going to sing at the end, uh, the angels are face down on the floor singing, holy, holy, holy. All right. I want to apply this to fathers. This vision of Jesus includes prophet, priest, and king. And as fathers, as heads of households, that's what we are to be. Prophets, priests, and kings. But we have to have them balanced. Because if you're just a prophet father, and you're saying no, 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 and given the rules, your children will have an imbalanced view of who you are as the leader of that house. You need to be priest on your knees, praying for your children daily. Interceding for them sometimes when they get in trouble right? Showing forgiveness, showing them how to ask forgiveness. And then lastly, as king, 
Now, a lot of fathers get off on this, you know. Serve me. No. If you study king in the Bible, you see it's used in the same way as shepherd. Uh, I just read Isaiah 45 the other day in my devotions, talking about Cyrus, the king, who is my shepherd. Jesus is the king, but he's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so fathers, we're shepherding our, our little flock, our home, as prophet, priest, and king. We follow Jesus in this, and I think it's a good application. All right, that's the first part of my message. Second part is about being an overcomer. If you read Revelation 2 and 3, you see addressed to each of the churches seven times each church to the one who overcomes. Ephesus, Smyrna, to the one who overcomes. I'm going to read that one because it's really important. To the one who conquers, that's the word, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now, let me just give you a little Greek lesson. It's really quick. Um, and in fact, you know the word. N-I-K-E. Right? N-I-K-E. Yeah. In England, they say Nike. So if you went into a store in England and said, give me a couple pair of Nikes, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Well, they probably would, but they don't say that. All of Europe says Nike. Uh, you can. I, I just watched a video on it, and they have... Uh, Music videos where they say, using what we would say as Nike, as Nike. But that's an aside. But I think it's interesting. So, the founder of Nike, who was the president of Blue Ribbon Sports in the uh, 60s, wanted to go different, wanted another brand. He thought of uh, Dimension 6. That's what he was going to call it, but no. And this... Uh, this uh, employee, the first employee of, of the company, said, no, let's do Nike. Well, what's Nike? Nike is a Greek word for victory. It can mean conqueror, overcomer, and I think it means that in Revelation. The one who prevails, the one who persists. What's the swoosh? Where did that come from? Well, Nike is the mythological uh, goddess of victory. And Knight and this Jeff Johnson guy who came up with the, the Nike thought, well, let's have an emblem just like Adidas. All right, this was in the beginnings of the co company. And so they, uh, they had this young lady, Carolyn uh, Davidson, who they paid $2 an hour uh, to come up with this. And she ended up making $35 with the swoosh. Now, he later gave her some stocks in the company that are worth about a million right now, so she, she made out okay, and she continued working. But it all comes from this Greek word, Nike, Nike in Greek. It's only used once in the New Testament in the noun form, and it's 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory, your faith, that overcomes the world. The uh, verb form, nikao, is used in that sentence, and it's used all throughout Revelation, the one who overcomes. John used it in, in uh, his gospel when he said, fear not. You know, in the world you will have tribulation, 
but I have overcome the world. That's Jesus. So he is the great overcomer, the conqueror, the one who is victorious. There's a new song out that I really like, uh, Champion. He is our champion. He's the only champion. He is the one who won. And so what I want to look at is just a couple verses in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Jesus is walking amidst the churches, and what happens is he has a message for them. Five out of the seven churches uh, have a um, condemnation. Two of them just commendations, which he gives to each one. And then he gives a recommendation to all of them and a promise. And I want to read the promise. So let's go to uh, Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who overcomes. I know you see conquer, but my NASB, New American Standard Bible, has overcome in there. I think it's the better translation, to be honest with you. The one who prevails, if you want to put it that way. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, does anyone remember uh, the condemnation to the Ephesian church? You've lost your first love, right? And that's easy to do, isn't it? You've lost your first love. You, you, you stand strong. You hold against evil men, but you lost your first love. And he says, I want you to be an overcomer. Uh, repent. That's the word. He uses in each one of these churches. Second one, 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now go to Revelation when you go home and find out about the second death. It's near the end. It's when the beast and the dragon and the devil get thrown into the lake of fire and all those People whose names are not written in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. To the one who overcomes, he'll not be touched by that. Chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice it's plural there. And I think every one of these messages is for every church that's around for the next 2,000 years, including our church. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a name written on the stone so that no one knows except the one who receives it. And now I want to shift to chapter 3 and finish up with the church of Laodicea. And I want to read all of this section, just so we get it. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's Jesus. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Remember what I said about Jesus? Sees through us. This is a harsh message to this church. He's saying, you're fooling around. You're playing games with God, and it is not acceptable in Jesus' eyes. And he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me 
gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Listen to this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And that's the key word here. Repent. How do you become an overcomer? You have faith. This morning, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ and his gift to you on the cross, you can. You can make that decision this morning, right now. You have faith, and then you fight. Remember Tim's message on 2 Timothy? Fight! And then lastly, we finish. Glenn Young and I have talked about this, finishing well. I'm 68. I don't know how long I have. I've got a couple bypasses in here, so maybe 10, 15 years. Who knows? doesn't matter. I want to finish well because that's what overcoming is. Young people, you got to keep going. Fight the good fight because you got to finish. And you're not there yet, but you have a long way to go. But the key in all of overcoming is repentance. Martin Luther said, our lives should be lives of repentance daily, every day. That's the way that the church will be strong. The church will be healthy. You and I will be healthy and we'll be able to go out there and have a message that's strong for this world. Well, you say, McGarvey, you didn't get to the real part of Revelation. The good stuff, right? So I'm going to read it just say a word on it a word a minute maybe and then we're going to sing what's ahead then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the blessed hope that we have. The coming of our Lord Jesus to usher in what was intended, a paradise of God. And you and I, if we're overcomers, will be there with the angels and the martyrs and the saints of old and each other. And we will echo, holy is the Lord. 